Hello, everybody. Welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. I'm Gail Stewart, your producer and co-host. Joining me today is guest host Raul Sandalin, just off the big success of his latest documentary, KGB and the FM Radio Revolution, still playing at the San Diego Public Library till the end of July. You have time. Dr. Stacey Hankinson is here with me, too. Today, I have a great interview with San Diego novelist and screenwriter Sean Rohrbach. Great guy, great writer. I think for anybody in our position, maybe you're in the same position, I, I don't know, mom and dad didn't write the check to give you a happy life. You had to go get it. That's right. And for anybody in that position, it takes more years than you think to actually get a foundation going. Even he's struggled like the rest of us. So there you go. More from Sean Rohrbach coming up, including his journey on adapting novels to scripts. He's done several and how he lost control of his intellectual property trying to please people. Very interesting lesson for all of us. And what are the traits of Sean's number one character, Grady Marks? That's coming up too. Raul, what's on your plate today? Going to be talking about character development and contrary emotion. Hmm. Nice, nice, nice. Dr. Hankinson. We're going to do a writer in the room session, and so everyone listening can hear what really happens. So we get to be writers in the room finally? Is that... They, you get to be we in the room. We get to be writers. Yeah, we get <laughs> to be writers for it, a little bit. You know? <laughs> okay, my dreams come true. Stand by. We'll be right back on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here. So I recently spoke to San Diego screenwriter Sean Rohrbach, author of the adapted novel Cast the First Stone, which won three accolades at the Oaxaca Film Festival. Sean explains what it took to turn the book into a film. It's sort of a take on the whole uh, period of uh, Lance Armstrong and the drugging in pro-cycling. I was very, very close to pro-cycling. Uh, at that time, and the, the novel came out, and then I, I scripted it to a, to a film. And yeah. so, that how many pages was it? Ninety ish. Oh, that's good. That's good, yeah, right? Right in right in that sweet spot where they want them, and I, yes. I I edited I edited very carefully to get it within that readable sweet spot. And uh, I think at one point it was at one hundred and fifty pages. Oh. I knew that that was not going to cut it. So much had to be cut, and to continue the thread story, the the thread of the story. And I cut and I cut. And that that was harder to edit that script than it was one of my books. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's slicing and dicing and trying to get to every uh, plot beat is very, very difficult. Sean's latest project is a novel called Let There Be Darkness, based on the San Diego blackout a few years back. The book should be out in October. It's currently with his editor. Sean, though, talks about his main protagonists in this thriller. And it's very interesting because there's a sidekick involved. I have a character, Grady Marks, who has been in my thrillers. He's been my my number one person in that. And he... he <laughs> Yeah, he gets he gets up to his knees in it. So he's 
Let's talk about your protagonist, because that's always interesting, and we try to kind of delve into character development on on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. So let's talk about your development of that particular character. I'm sure he's layered with different traits and... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's a a retired uh, IT professional. He was an Army Ranger. Um, He sold his IT company, software development company, uh, to Microsoft for several million dollars. Um, now he, he does, you know, skulking work. He, he runs around working for one in particular FBI senior agent. Um, and he does his kind of uh, research work because he's very good at IT. He can get into a computer and tear it apart. So he's, he's an IT whiz, a uh, retired professional, and his wife kind of does the books for him. But she's also very strong in um supporting him. She's a, a very strong character in all of my books. Um, she, he couldn't do it without her. And I, I wanted to make sure I had a good, strong female character. You think this guy's going to take it, but it's a, it's a team. And I wanted that very much so in my, in my, uh, in my, in my novels and my scripts. In 2017, Sean optioned his short film script, Conquistadors, and although he had a clause in the contract that required he approve all changes to the script, he went against his better judgment. Sean approved a producer-requested change. That change proved to be a very bad decision. Conquistadors, that's how it was produced. I didn't like the, the end product. I think that there, there was some nuance of uh, uh, maybe some homosexual attraction within the story, which actually sold the story very well. People loved the story, but the person who made the story said, well, you know, I don't like the two brothers sleeping in the same bed. So I'm going to have the boy. Uh, he's going to have a girlfriend. Oh boy. All right. Well, it, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, mm-hmm. but he made it. And there it is. I get an IMDB credit. And I think that's the, one of the things I did learn is I want to take more control of, what the actual end product is going to be, because I, I really did not like the end result of that film. And Malcolm, when he did that, uh, he's a wonderful guy. He just was afraid of p- putting anything nuanced like that into a script and, and into an actual film. That's bizarre. I find that bizarre. I do too. Uh, but it's, it is San Diego and that's, um, and on San Diego state university, there's a lot of that. That's, that's that's deep within the roots of isn't it changing why, though oh, i mean my goodness the you know the social justice we're a social justice network right, here and i, I agree yeah I agree. What, and what it, if i had a black character and they said no i don't think that should be right a black it should be a yeah, white character. yeah that's so discriminatory yeah. and so yeah. antiquated that kind of thought process yeah it is and if you don't like that idea just don't make the script you know i so i learned i, I will not give them that license Novelist, screenwriter, film festival winner. Here's what Sean Warback has to say about getting noticed, getting coverage, and rising to the top. What I'm seeing with um, with with writers is that they they're sitting behind the closed door, you know, and they think that they're going to just send you know stuff up to a, a, an agent in Hollywood. And it doesn't happen discovered. like that. It doesn't, and it, it nobody does that. There are producers here in San Diego. Why not? Why? Why do you have to go to Hollywood to get noticed? You know, and I think a lot of very good writers 
are sitting behind the closed door waiting to be noticed. And nobody gets to notice you when you're behind a closed door. That's why I go to Hollywood as much as I can. I join the Women in Film. I join the Writers Guild Foundation. You've got to get out from behind the Absolutely. desk. You've got to be seen in the right places and and get to know certain people. You know, that's the other one. If you don't have the time to travel to, to Hollywood, just go to International uh, Screenwriters Association, ISA, join, and you get tons and tons of information or, or film network. And you get tons of information on uh, festivals for screenwriters. And that's you. You notice on my website, I get most of my dialogue about my scripts comes from that. But I get inquiries when I enter. It costs me twenty five to thirty dollars to enter a script. Okay, that's what it costs me. Don't buy a case of beer, and that's what. There you go. You got the money, you know. And I get, I pay for that feedback, and I get great feedback. I pay another ten dollars on top of the the entrance fee. Yes. And I always get red lines. I, yes. I, they, they send it right back to me with red lines on it and suggestions, and it's fantastic. It is fantastic. That feedback is priceless because it really, Absolutely. I mean, you're, these readers, they know what, what, what really snaps in Hollywood, and Absolutely. they're able right. to give you some pointers on that kind of stuff. But again, let's make a commitment. I would love to make a commitment to get back with you. If I do a little short table read festival at my house, you're invited. I got I've got Sean Rohrbach. Out of my back pocket. Okay. <laughs> okay, perfect. Listen, thank you so much for taking time and thank, thank you, you for your time. Being on the San Diego Screenwriters Studio. Great. Welcome back to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. I'm Gail Stewart and now introducing Raul Sandalin. But today what I want to talk about, I want to go a little bit beyond just the Commedia dell'arte stock kinds of characters and figure out ways to go beyond and develop richer, deeper, multidimensional characters. So I have an idea called Contrary Emotion. And we've seen this in other forms of reality in uh for example, contrary motion in music. If you I know a little bit about music theory, contrary motion is when one line will go in one direction and one will go in another. So maybe the bass line goes down and gets bassier. Well, the melody goes up and gets more trebly. But when uh, two musical lines in the same piece go in two different directions, that's contrary motion. So contrary emotion is similar to that. And that's when a character develops emotionally in two different directions. And I have a little example here I put together, just an extreme example to get the discussion and the party started. So let's say you have a hitman, a And he's uh, given a job, and he's going to go out and plan this hit, and he's picking the weapon, and he's surveilling the poor target who's going to get whacked, and he's buying the 55-gallon drum that he's going to put the guy in with all the acid and all of that stuff. But here and there, he also gets on the phone and calls, makes a call to a funeral home. And he's, we realize that he's planning his mother, his dearly departed mother's funeral. And he's getting weepy and he's talking to the funeral director and he's telling him, you know, money's no object. Make sure to include lots of flowers, you know, and then we 
cut again and maybe he carries out the hit. So that would be contrary emotion where we have, you know, the hitman planning out the murder while also planning his mother's funeral. Imagine it shows up in different places. Oh yeah, it's used a lot. So when you have these contrary emotions going on, how far do you build them? I mean, in let's take your example, are we going to know what killed his mom? When you develop a character, you have to kind of do two opposite things. Um, you have to, on one hand, create believable, real-esque characters that the audience can watch and relate to. But on the same thing, you have to pick and choose because the character can't do everything like a real person. The character can only do the things that help further the plot. It depends why we are seeing that his mother died, and it might just be to show that he's also a sensitive guy. He's a hitman with a soft side. So it may just serve, that contrary emotion may just serve to expose the softer side of this really kind of violent, nervy guy. Yeah, yeah. And possibly that soft side is going to play into something else at the end. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe he's going to stop another murder or do something. But yeah, for whatever reason, the mom's there as a vehicle to show that this hitman has a soft, sensitive side. He's and- mama's boy. Yeah, Raul, I, I could definitely see the example that you gave. I was wondering, I'm trying to get a broader picture of it. Um, are there other examples that come to mind? I was thinking, for example, my um, James Conn's character and The Godfather be an example of, of that? May rest in peace. Yeah, May, he recently yeah. he passed. Yes, yeah. that's why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. James Conn was Sonny, right? Yes. The oldest son who gets shot at the toll booth. Right. Let's see. James Conn was kind of a one, if I'm, you know, remembering The Godfather correctly, he was more of a one speed fits all. Remember, he had that hot, violent temper, like he beats up the boyfriend of the sister. And he was the number one alpha son. So I don't know if contrary emotion would apply as much to the James Conn, the Sonny character in The Godfather. However, it would definitely apply to Michael, Michael Corleone, the Al Pacino character, who's the biggest character in The Godfather after after uh, Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. Because we see at the beginning, Michael comes back from the army and he doesn't want to get into the family business. This is what he's struggling against. And this contrary emotion can also cause a tug of war as they go back and forth. So Michael comes back from the army. He has his honorable discharge. He's going to marry his girlfriend, right, who has nothing to do with organized crime and the mafia families. And he's going to, you know, raise a legitimate family and live his life outside of the family business. But little by little, he's getting pulled in, you know, by each new plot point that moves along. So, yeah, Michael is definitely being tugged in two contrary emotional directions. In fact, this this example that you're using can also be seen in Peaky Blinders, which I just finished the six seasons of, and with Arthur. Now, Arthur is the main character's brother in the business, his, his older brother, but he... Arthur doesn't have the sense to kind of get the business off the ground. And so 
it, it falls to the younger brother, Thomas Shelby. But Arthur, he is, he's a drunk and he's more muscle behind, uh, you know, making, he's the enforcer. And so he meets this woman who's very religious and he tries to find God and he, you know, and, and he tries to turn his life around, but his honor to the family is too strong. He's like so torn, this guy. He's so troubled and, you know, and, and it's caused by this, this contrary emotion, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and you used a good word there, torn. Mm -hmm. And a character that exhibits that contrary emotion will be torn between two different aspects of his or her persona. Yeah, that, that's that's great. I, I just was trying to get a broader picture of what you were talking about. So I think some of these examples help to explicate that. But if you notice the, you know, the, the most recent Joaquin Phoenix uh, Joker, the character exhibits lots of contrary emotion. And why don't I just stop there? Especially if you haven't watched the movie yet, go see it. So when I talk about it in the future, it won't be a spoiler alert. (laughs) Okay, you're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Stay tuned. We have the writer in the room coming up next with Dr. Stacey Hankinson. Welcome back to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. I'm Gail Stewart with Raul Sandlin and Dr. Stacy Hankinson. So what's it like to be a, a writer in the room, right? That's where we're going today. What do you got? Well, Gail, I, I wanted to just give a sample of what it would look like in terms of the, the writing process, even pre-writing before writing the script, that there's potentially, ideally, a whole conversation that the writer can have with colleagues that are trusted that are are also in the writing process and this also happens to be an actual component of the executive world of writing that that it's called the writers in the room and and even if you're not at that point yet having this dialogue is such an amazing process and so I am going to just give a sample of it um, in terms of what I've written and I under I know that if you're a listener here, perhaps you've heard a, a segment of the sessions, the pilot that I've written. And if not, it doesn't matter. You can just kind of listen to the, the process that goes on here. But let me just give a, just a real general overview of the, the sessions and, and then just jump into what a writer in the room situation would be like where I'm talking with Gail and, and Rawl. Um, okay, so the sessions is just a sitcom dramedy regarding... Um, a 40-something divorcee and her new life. And in the pilot, she she bounces around with a lot of different guys and she's having a great time and it's all euphoric. And, and then there's a B story with her, her kids. And that that's sort of where it ended, the, the part that was read in, in our table reading recently. So... I recently received some feedback, actually, from someone in the industry on Scarlet, and what he said is that that Scarlet seems to him somewhat like Samantha in Sex and the City. If she were to have gotten married and then got bored with it, and then just went out there and just meeting a lot of guys, and you know that didn't sit too well with me. I, I appreciated the candor of the of the comment, but it started me really thinking 
I really want this to be a character that has some depth. And, and it can start that way. She can start as a Samantha type. But I wanted to think, how, how could she have a character arc? How could she really become someone of, of just depth that we can really admire, that we can relate to? So I started thinking, and this is where I'll, I'll um, involve you, Raul, and, and Gail. What are some some situations that would be really outside of her wheelhouse. I mean, clearly she's comfortable with with all kinds of guys and cougaring, and, and that seems to just kind of happen for her. But what would really cause her to be challenged and, and cause her to just be a struggle for her? I, I thought, too, about possibly having her have a relationship with a woman, and that, that's not off the docket. I mean, that, that could happen. But um, what do you think, Rawl? My first instinct is uh, to build a scenario where it's sort of her life gone bad. You know, it sounds like she's been doing a lot of things, but there haven't been huge consequences. But, you know, maybe if she meets somebody on a dating platform and goes on a date and it goes really bad and she ends <laughs> up, you know, jumping out of a moving car or something like that or sees a scene, you know, that she didn't expect to see. I know I talked a little bit earlier about, you know, hitman murders and stuff, but let's say she's dating, you know, lots of different guys, enjoying life, goes on a date, date goes weird, and she actually witnesses the date, you know, whack somebody in a field, you know, but she was supposed to be too drunk to see that, you know, because the hitman forgot that he had to do a job while he was also on a date with her. <laughs> you know, so yeah, so you can work. see you can see how this thing starts to sort of spider web. You know, how one wrong date could open up a whole new can of possible worms. Right, but. right. No, that that's something definitely. I mean, I'm I'm noting it and. I have more episodes to write, so that that could definitely be a whole rabbit hole, a whole direction for her. This is the deal, and this is what has been kind of ingrained in me when I get coverage for my scripts, and that is, where are the struggles for this person? And he, Raul brings up a good example where the date goes bad. Maybe she has too rough of sex, you know, erotica or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and she, she, they, they choke her out, right? And she ends up in the emergency oh. room. Okay. I don't know. And, you know, it can be funny. It yes. could be funny where she just wakes up and the doc's like, you know, do you know what happened? And she goes, well, not really. I knew I was having sex, but that's. That's, yeah. the, that's the last thing I remember, right? Yeah. I don't know, you know. So there's got to be struggles built into her character arc. Because, right. because what's her, you know, I mean, her character arc is she finds Mr. Right. She marries, she settles down, and her life gets super boring, right? But so, I mean, we don't want that yet, right? Right, right. And and both of the examples that you both gave kind of involve, oh, I don't know, what would you say, like a, like a physical kind of interesting challenge to it. I, I'm thinking, too, I want her to have an emotional challenge. Like, I want her to have something that's just out of her wheelhouse, that is out of something that she hasn't 
normally experience. What do you think, Rolf? Uh, well, the, there's always the old bat, uh, blast from the past approach. Find some old person or some old memory or some old event. Right, and we have uh, done that. She had Tommy, right? The, the yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of like her, the her old dream, boyfriend. the dream, yeah. right? Affair, and that yeah. kind of inspired all this like searching, and that she's trying to kind of create that feeling again. Um, so we, we've done, we've touched on that. Um, what do you guys think of introducing her, having a, a woman, a, a relationship with a woman? What, what? I like the woman. Fine. Yeah, I like the woman angle, but maybe she goes, she starts seeing a, goes to a seance or she goes to a, um, what are they called? Those people that tell your fortune. An astrology? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah. And you know, they look in their crystal ball and they're like, you know, he's here or channel. They can, sh- she can channel him. I don't know. You know, okay. maybe she meets somebody who actually is Tommy reincarnated, and it just kind of oh. freaks her out, oh. right? Wow. Yeah. You know, sometimes we go around and we try to choose the replacement, right? Somebody right. who is the replacement for oh, that person. Tommy reincarnated. Okay, that's interesting. What do you think, Rolf? Yeah. Because that's an emotional tug. It is. Also think about visual things. What things can the audience actually see? Um, and I was uh, thinking if she's going out on dating, this might be TMI, but I started a documentary on this a few years ago. But there's a whole swingers scene out there, and you can go to meet and greets at the Brigantine of all places. Oh, my God. Um, right. Right. You can go, you know, these public places, and you all get to know each other and, you know, take it from there kind of thing. Right. Those would be visual things where you could also introduce cameo characters, you know, the people at the meet and greets, they just see them in one episode. They're not going to be around forever. Right. Um, so that would be something. And then you were also mentioning, somebody mentioned, you know, sex gone bad. But I was also, depending on the tone you're trying to create, you could also make it very funny. I think um, funny. I think yeah, yeah. you stay light with you, sessions, you, especially you, the Scarlet episode, for sure. You, you, you don't think to get her, you know very in love with someone that she just somehow can't connect with or maybe that person's even uh i don't know has some emotional issues i i don't know but that it would get heavier it would change the tone it would change the tone but this is also another huge thing and that is hooking up with somebody who you think is absolutely perfect right but they actually suffer and they yeah. go in and out of their it's episodic right and it's heartbreaking for right. the person who has to deal with it because they love them and sometimes i mean it's very very difficult to let that person go but you have to because their life is so messy right so you know right? I, started, I started writing something like that with a, a character almost like a steve corral kind of character that that is just elusive, but she she it hurts, but it's she loves it. But what were you going to say, Raul? Yeah, I was just going to add a little contrary emotion. Uh, maybe she could go to something like one of these swingers parties or meet somebody on a uh, swingers dating platform, and that's the person who reminds her of Tommy. And there's the, the she's torn between this sort of player who swings and plays the field and this guy reminding her of her long-lost love, Tommy, from when was it? From high her school. High school, high school yeah. 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 So you got a lot of good areas to go on this well, one. Well, thanks, you guys. That's the writer in the room. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio, Raul Sandalin, Dr. Stacey Hankinson, and your host, Gail Stewart. We will return shortly.
You are listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We're going to talk about final thoughts on today's segment, but also, what are you watching? Dr. Stacey Hankinson, tell me. I'm watching Good Girls. I really like it. You know, I saw that. That's good. It is good. It's, you know, they're, they're women in suburbia, and they're just more and more getting sucked into the drug racket and... Organized crime. Organized crime is more like a Rico, baby. Yeah, and they, they're having a good time, and they can't quite let it go. And I just finished uh, Peaky Blinders. That was excellent, by the way. A little violent, but it was good, very good. You said something uh, interesting, Gail. You said uh, in the industry that everybody's always binge-watching something. Um, could you explain that a little bit? Because that's kind of fascinating that everybody's... Well, you wanna, yeah, you want to know what's out there, what's selling to Netflix, right? You, and then I study them. Like, uh, I'm re- right now I'm watching uh, uh, Only Murders in the Building. It's with Steve Martin, and he co-wrote it along with uh, Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Uh, excellent. Is it's, it good? Do yeah, you oh, like it's, it? You know what? It's so quirky that yeah. most people would probably turn it off. I, yeah. But I swear to God, it's good. Any final thoughts from anybody on anything going on? We're just moving forward with screenwriters in the studio. And we're, we've added a new day. Oh, that's right. So listen, you can hear us. We now air Wednesday, 8 to 8.30 a.m., Friday, 4 to 4.30 p.m., and Sunday mornings, Yay. 8 to 8.30. Tune in for our latest tips on all things screenwriting, people. Thank you, and goodbye, San Diego. <laughs>